0: Everybody wants to be successful. I mean, whatever we're attempting, whatever we have, whatever things we're planning, whatever we're doing, we want to be successful. I don't know of, of anyone who, who starts a business hoping that it ends in bankruptcy. I don't know of anybody who enters into grad school hoping to flunk out. Right? I don't know of a mechanic that... When she's done fixing the car, she hopes it doesn't run. I don't know of a coach that takes on a team hoping that they lose every game. I don't know of a doctor who begins a surgery hoping that it doesn't turn out right. And if you're a patient, you're really hoping the doctor doesn't think that way, right? I mean, whatever we start, whatever we do, we're looking for success. And, And that's because that's how God created us. It's a part of being made in the image of God because God is all about success. All you have to do is read the creation story at the end of every day of God making all the things that he makes. He gets to the end and he looks at it and he says, that's good. That's really good. It is. He's saying success. I accomplished what I was hoping and wanting to accomplish and he has put that within every single one of us. And so when we start things, when we try things, when we have dreams and plans about things. We are we are doing so with the desire to be successful because that's how God created us. But we live in a world in which obstacles get in the way of our success. We get hurt. Things don't turn out the way we want them to. People oppose us. Circumstances seem to oppose us. Things don't go the way we want them to. And we find ourselves striving and wrestling and working more and more and more to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And I think it's that opposition, it's that struggle to accomplish that I think causes us so often To make success our passion. It's that, it's the knowing that we're going to have to face difficulties, knowing that we're going, there are some hurdles that we're going to have to get over, causes us often to think there is nothing more important than success. Because we feel that way, we have, we deal with all of the things and the struggles within ourselves, and with other people. And in the course of of that process, we find ourselves often at, at forks in the road where we have to decide which way am I going to choose? Am I going to choose the road of success and not worry about anything else? Or do I have to put success aside To do the right thing. And we don't face those kinds of questions once or twice or a dozen times in our lives. We face them all the time in a variety of ways. And I think that is exactly the place that Pilate finds himself in as the passion narrative unfolds. Pilate is the governor of Judea, and and he's the person that they bring Jesus to, to have him condemned. Now, we have a tendency when we read stories in Scripture, we tend to see everybody as one-dimensional. They're either good or they're bad. It's one of the reasons why we have such a struggle with people like David, people like Samson, and some of these people in the Scripture who are much more complex than we often think. But that's the reality of human nature. We're complex. And, and when we read the scriptures, we have to remember that because that's who we are. We're complex. I think, it's, I think one of the reasons we have such a, a political divide in our nation right now is because we have forgotten that. And we have this sense that you're, you're either for me or you're against me. And if you're for me, you can't do wrong. I'll figure out a way to look, look after over it. And if you're against me, you can't do right. I'll ignore what I might see. And we start drawing lines and thinking that the people we interact with are are either all good or all bad. And we remove the complexity. But we don't want people to do that to us. Because we know we're complex. And here is Pilate wavering, tottering what to do. He wants to release Jesus. He knows. He's not not immune to injustice. He knows, as Matthew tells us, the only reason Jesus is standing in front of him is because the religious leaders are envious of Jesus. Because the religious leaders are self-interested. He knows that. He spends a few minutes talking with Jesus and it's clear to him. And so he walks out and he says, Look, I've got nothing. I'm going to release him. And the people start to riot okay well let me talk to him again and he has another conversation with him he knows what's right he's struggling to do it because his success as a leader, his dreams his plans that he has worked so hard for are hinging in the balance of this decision so he takes the, does the next best thing he can think of he tries to pass the book. I Man, is Pilate human or what? Right. He's thinking, I want to release Jesus, but I'm going to let somebody else make that decision. So he hears that he's from Galilee, so he says, "Herod's in town. Send him to Herod." And Herod talks to Jesus for a little bit and decides, "I'm not doing this," and he sends him back to Pilate. I'm sure Pilate's, Pilate's, uh, you know, heart sunk into his stomach when the when the soldiers came back in with Jesus. What are you guys doing here? Well, Herod said, I'm not dealing with it. Send him back. And his mind continues to spin, and he comes up with a brilliant idea. Every year, they release a prisoner. So he says, that's what I'll do. And he turns to his aide and he says, look, who's the worst guy we've got in prison? Who's the, who's the most dangerous criminal we have behind bars? Who's the most, who who's the worst? And the guy says, oh, that's easy. That's Barabbas. Okay, what about Barabbas? He says, "Well, he's committed murder, insurrection, treason. I mean, he's done it all." And he, he, said, he said, "The people don't people hate him? Oh, yeah, they want him in prison. You bet they do. Okay, go get him." And so he brings Barabbas and he takes him out and stands before the people. Barabbas on one side, Jesus on the other. It's an interesting. Barabbas' given name is Jesus Barabbas, and he says, "Who do you want? This Jesus or this Jesus?" And Pilate's thinking to himself, this is going to be so easy. Who in their right mind would choose Barabbas? Who wants their kids on the streets when Barabbas is loose? Nobody wants to hang out with Barabbas. I suspect that all the other criminals they've released through the years probably were then there for tax evasion or petty theft. But not this kind of stuff. You don't release those kinds of prisoners. And Pilate is again shocked. We want Barabbas released. It's like, you're kidding me. And he's still wavering until the religious leaders threaten him. And that threat pushes him over the edge. Because they say to him, look, if you release Jesus, you are no friend of Caesar. Now, what can they do to him? He's the governor. He's Roman. They're, they're basically in, uh, enslaved by the Roman government. What do they have? What can they do to him? Oh, well, because there's a history. When Pilate first becomes the governor, he, he makes some big mistakes. First, one of the first things he does is he, he gets his troops here in Caesarea, and he brings them down to Jerusalem. And they walk in Jerusalem carrying their flags with images of the emperor on them, and they plant those flags near the temple, and the people erupt. Don't be bringing those flags of the emperor near our temple. And they begin to riot. And it is so serious that Pilate actually sends them back to Caesarea. And he loses face. Then for some reason, I think maybe just to, to sort of get back at them, he hangs some shields in the temple that had the names of deities on them. Idols and gods. And the people really get upset. And he's not taking them down. He's going to fight with them about it until the emperor hears about it. And he says, Pilate, stop doing that. Take those down. Get those out of there. What do you want to create a riot? And then when the people need a new aqueduct for the city, to run the water in and out. To pay for it, Pilate goes, steals money from the temple treasury to pay for it. And that's the last straw. And now the people are rioting in the streets. And Pilate sends his soldiers dressed in in street clothes out among the people with clubs hidden. And at a given signal, they just start beating people. And numerous people die. Others are executed. It is a mess. And when word gets back to the emperor, he sends word to Pilate. Do I need to send somebody else to be the governor of Judea? Can you not handle this? I'm going to give you one more chance. Pilate is in hot water on thin ice with the emperor. And when they say to him, you're no friend of Caesar if you release Jesus, there's teeth to that threat. And Pilate is watching his career, everything he's worked for, everything he's dreamed for, disappearing if he does the right thing. You and I face a lot of similar kinds of circumstances. We Things come to us in our life where to make a decision is to put our dreams, our plans, things we worked for at risk. I mean, look at Daniel. I mean, Daniel puts it all on the line. He has worked so hard to become a leader. He's done the right things over and over and over again. And when it comes to the fork in the road, success or God, he chooses God. Pilate can't bring himself to do that. And so he pulls out a basin of water, washes his hands, and symbolically and literally says, I'm washing my hands of this. It is interesting that Just a few hours before Jesus takes a basin of water and he uses it for a completely different purpose. Pilate says, Okay, I'm going to release him, but it's on your heads, not mine. I'm not responsible. As if saying the words makes it true. And the people say, Fine, we'll take it. Put it on us. And Pilate's done. I think one of the most intriguing things about this whole story of Pilate is is the dream that his wife has. I find that fascinating to be interjected into Matthew's story. It makes me think of of, um, something I heard Dennis Kinlaw say a long time ago in a sermon he preached about, about Malchus. Malchus is the servant of the high priest, and he's representing the high priest when the soldiers come to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. And when they come to get Jesus, Peter, being impetuous as he is, picks up a sword and just swings it. Probably, probably strikes Malchus from behind and cuts off his ear. And Jesus is upset. He, tell, he rebukes Peter, put your sword away, and then he reaches down into the dirt, picks up that ear. And puts it back, and heals him. And, and Kinlaw says, you know, he, he envisions later when they get back, and and, uh, and and Malchus comes to to Caiaphas the high priest, and and he's Caiaphas says how to go, and he said, well, okay, I guess. And the whole time he's pulling on that ear. Is he sure we got the right guy? And Kinlaw says, you know, I think that's one last love note. To the hard-hearted high priest. God saying, do you really want to do this? And I think this dream is one more love note from God saying to Pilate, you don't have to do this. This doesn't have to be your destiny. You don't have to make this decision. Pilate is not a pawn of God. Pilate is being tempted to be a pawn of Satan. Jesus comes to reconcile the world to all of his creation. But Pilate doesn't have to be the one who sentences him. Pilate doesn't have to take this role. He can step back and say, I don't know much about Yahweh, but I know in my spirit what's right and what's wrong. And I'm going to do what's right. And I think that, I think that, that dream is like the shadow of the cross falling down upon Pilate. And opening his eyes to what's right in front of him. As I said last week, when you're walking outside in the bright sunshine and all of a sudden the sun goes behind a cloud, you notice the difference. Or if you're walking down the street and the sun goes behind a tall building and you walk from the sunlight, the warmth of the sunlight, into the temperature drop of the shade, you notice a difference. It grabs your attention. And I think the shadow of the cross is falling down upon Pilate when this, when this word comes to him about his wife's dream and God is trying to get his attention and saying, do you really want to do that? You don't have to. I know it looks like it's going to cost you everything. But it's not. It's going to open the door for you to find Everything. I think God does that with us all the time. You know that the moment when you know, you're, you're hurt, you're angry, you're frustrated and, and, and you just can't take any more and, and you, you you've figured out what you're going to say or what you're going to write and, and you are ready to go and you're just on the cusp of doing it when the doorbell rings or the phone rings. The kids start making noise or the dog bark starts barking or the traffic backs up. And in that time of delay, you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, do you really want to say that? Do you really want to do that? Do you really want to say it like that? You know, when you hit send, you can't get it back. When you speak those words, they're real, they're alive. You can't change them really want to do that? We come to these forks in the road where, where we're trying to decide our dreams, my hopes, success. And what's right. And the shadow of the cross falls on us and the spirit of the Lord speaks to us. And he does that. It's an act of grace from God because he knows how hard it is. It's so much easier to choose success than it is to choose a cross. You know, it's so much easier. Everybody keeps telling us success, success, success. That's what life is about. Choosing a cross is is hard, it's countercultural, it's counterintuitive. It's difficult. Was reading a book this week, where the person was saying, "I always find it fascinating when when people make the statement of, you know, faith for Christians it's just a tr- it's just a crutch." Is it really, what kind of a crutch is the cross? It's not a crutch. It's the hardest thing in the world. It's everything counterintuitive to how in our sinful natures we think. But it's the call of the gospel. And it is the way of life. It is the way of joy. It's the way of peace. And what we have to understand is that as the shadow of the cross falls on us, as the Spirit speaks to us, it's trying to help us understand that our perspective is is skewed. We're just thinking about life right now, in the moment. And God is thinking about the eternal. We're thinking about where this decision is going to take us tomorrow. God's thinking about what this decision where this decision is going to take us for all of eternity. And he wants us to have a bigger perspective. I think that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 when he describes love, like loving like Jesus. And I mean, when he, what he describes is difficult. It's challenging. It's a struggle. And he says it's hard for us because we have an imperfect perspective. We, it's like we see through a glass darkly right now. We are missing it. We can't quite get it. But that's the place of trust and faith. That we believe, even when we can't see it, it's true. Daniel couldn't see it, but it was true. And God may not rescue us like he does Daniel. But it is still true that the way of the cross is the way of life. what Paul is describing in Philippians chapter 2. You know, that those verses where we, we think about you know, Jesus, Paul is saying about Jesus that though he was very nature God, he chose not to grasp that. Instead, humbled himself to death on a cross. And, and, he, and he says, this is how you ought to live. This is how you ought to think. This is what you ought to be. But what we often miss our verses 9, 10 and 11, because he says in verse 9, because Jesus went through that, therefore... He's exalted. Therefore, he he receives the greatest blessings of God. To the glory of God. And he begins that section by saying, think like Jesus. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And to think like Jesus is not just to go to the cross, but to, to embrace the cross because we see the bigger picture. Because we've been... We've gotten a glimpse of the eternal perspective, like Jesus. And that's the calling of the cross. The great poet, author, pastor, George MacDonald, probably the most influential person in C.S. Lewis coming to faith, once said the Son of God did not suffer unto death so that we wouldn't suffer the Son of God suffered unto death so that our sufferings might be like His and that's the call of the cross whatever we give up going to be eternally worth it. Whatever sacrifices we make are going to be eternally worth it. And I think once we understand it, I think it will be worth it even before eternity. Because it's drawing us closer and closer to God who is the source of everything we've been created to experience the shadow of the cross convicts us the shadow of the cross speaks to us the shadow of the cross reminds us that there is more holy father we want to thank you Thank you for caring enough about us to give us your grace in these difficult moments of life. Help us to want your grace. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.